You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Dear Saints, this is a sermon about the Holy Trinity, which means that this is also a sermon about baptism, because these two always go together, which is an amazing thing, really. In fact, when we consider the Scriptures uh, and the confession of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we find that those Scriptures which most clearly confess the Trinity are also passages about baptism. Consider, for example, the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is standing there, the Son of God, in the water. The Father is there booming from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit is descending in the form of a dove to rest upon Jesus. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there in the baptism of Jesus. And the second passage, which is like it, is the very last words of Jesus before He sends into heaven in Matthew 28 when He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to treasure all the things that I've commanded you. And look, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This teaching of baptism and the confession of the Trinity go together and we'll see why. But first, a bit about the Trinity. This confession that we made of the Holy Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the divine unity in three persons, is the boundary line for Christianity. There are a lot of churches that teach a lot of different things. One church believes that the Bible is God's Word. Another says that it, it's God's Word but contains errors. One church teaches that, that we don't do anything to deserve our salvation. Another teaches that Christ does everything for us. One church teaches that baptism is God's gift through which He gives us life. Another church teaches that it is the first act of obedience. And there are these errors that run throughout the church, and all of them serious. None of them to be taken lightly. In fact, Jesus Himself has commanded us to beware of false teachers and to beware of false doctrine. And this warning is not without reason, for theological error always leads to death. It might take a while to get there, but that's the direction that it's heading. This error is the devil's work to drag us from Christ, to drag us away from the gospel, to drag us away from the certainty of the forgiveness of our sins. But there is one doctrine, one teaching, one confession that stands right on the edge, on the border. If you confess it rightly, you are in the Christian church, but if you get it wrong, you are out. And this is the teaching of the Trinity. The biblical teaching, the biblical doctrine that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As a reminder, we have for the doctrine of the Trinity five statements that are true, all drawn from the Scriptures, and when taken together, confess fully this teaching of the Trinity. First, that there is only one true God. Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, and so forth. Second, that the Father is God. Third, that Jesus Christ, the Son, is God. Fourth, that the Holy Spirit is a person, is eternal, and is God. And finally, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons with equal authority. When considered together, this gives us the picture from the Bible of what we mean when we confess the Trinity. And there is no other God. 
The worship of anything else, anything else called God, is idolatry. Even those who claim that there is one God, but reject Jesus or reject the claim of Jesus that He is God, are not worshiping the same God. And this includes the Muslims and the Jews. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To reject Jesus, the Son, is to reject the Father. And it is to cast off the Lord's gift of life. This, dear saints, is why the teaching of the Trinity is so important. Our life, our, our eternal life depends on it. And this is eternal life, says Jesus. And this is a, an important text, one to be noted. John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Dear saints, our eternal life depends on this. On knowing the Father and knowing the Son, who He sent. The sending of the Son is the key in the text. Because remember, if God is only one person, then there can be no sending. You can't send yourself. With all of the false gods who say that there is only one person, there is now no conversation with God, no love, no self-giving. In fact, no giving at all, but only power. And this means that every false god, every god who is only one person, every idol, has nothing to give but commands. They sit in heaven and give out demands, demands of sacrifice. And in the end, every false god and every idol will demand human sacrifice. You can oftentimes find just what a person's idol is by what they're sacrificing their life for, their work or pleasure or whatever it is. That's their idol. But not the true God. Not God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He does not demand human sacrifice, but quite the opposite. He gives. Gives Himself. Gives His Son. He sins. And it's in precisely the sending of the Son from the Father that we have life. The sending of the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son. For these three persons who exist in eternal and unending love for another desire that we would know that love and that we would know their unending life and that we would be blessed forever by being part of their family and so they send and give and love. Behold, writes St. John, this is his epistle, First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are indeed. For everything that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are doing in this world and are doing with us is so that we would be part of the family. That we would be part of the family of God. That we would have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. And that we would be called by their name. And this, dear saints, is what's unfolding in the Gospels. Especially the Gospel of John. 
who takes up this teaching page after page. In fact, even in the lesson that we have appointed today from John chapter 3 with this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus is there teaching Nicodemus and teaching us what it means to be part of God's family. Nicodemus was a man of great importance. And the text will emphasize this. It says, he was a man of the Pharisees and a ruler or a chief person among the Jews. If the disciples were in the know, and we know that John, the apostle, was in the know, then they would recognize this Nicodemus. And no doubt, they would be surprised when they hear the knocking on the door this night and they open the door and find Nicodemus standing there asking to talk with Jesus. It's an interesting thing in the text that the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus seems to pick up where, we, where it left off. It's almost as if we have the conversation, we come to it right in the middle of things. And so we have the hint that Nicodemus had heard the preaching of John the Baptist and the preaching of Jesus even earlier that day. And so he comes to Jesus and begins by flattering him, letting him know that he, he's seen the miracles and the signs that Jesus has worked. But Jesus is not impressed and says, this is John 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is to say, Nicodemus, you come to me looking for excuses, but I will give you none. You know that you must repent. You know that you must be baptized. You're coming to me by night wanting some special way to be saved so you can be a Christian and yet remain a Pharisee. But you heard, Nicodemus, the preaching of, God, of, of John. And you, you heard what I said. To be part of God's kingdom requires a new birth, a birth from above, a dying to your old self, a rising to the newness of life. Nicodemus asked the question, how can a man be born when he's old? Can you enter a second time into your mother's womb? And be born. Now, I'll confess to you, at this point in the text, which is about verse 4, right? I do not know what kind of question Nicodemus is asking. I can't pick up on the tone of it. I don't know if any of you guys have insight on this, and you can tell me uh, after the service. I, I can't tell if the question from Nicodemus here is a sarcastic question. How can a man be born again? Can he go a second time into the womb? Or... If it's a sincere question, if there's some sort of longing, how can this happen? Jesus, teach me. It's quite a different... In fact, it's two totally different questions, right? But I can't pick up on the tone from the text. Perhaps the reason is because maybe there's a little bit of both. I mean, you see, Nicodemus here is longing to, to believe the preaching of John. He's longing to trust the preaching of Jesus, but he's unwilling to let go of his prestige of being a Pharisee. That's why he's there at night, not during the day. He doesn't want to be named with the name of Jesus. He wants to cling to his own name. He's unwilling to take upon the name of Jesus in baptism, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Nicodemus respo or, Jesus responds to Nicodemus, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I am saying this to you, that you must be born again, for the wind blows where it wills. You hear its sound, but don't know where it comes from and don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That is to say, look, Nicodemus, you have to be baptized. You cannot make up your own way to be saved. 
You cannot come and invent your own way to life. You cannot chase the Spirit around and think that you're going to find Him. You will not find the Spirit unless you listen, unless you truly hear my voice. So Nicodemus throws up his hands. How can this be? So Jesus responds. We speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he that descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him have etern may have eternal life. Salvation, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, might not be the way you think it should be or the way that you want it to be or the way that you like it. Jesus reminds Nicodemus of this serpent incident. Numbers chapter 21. The people are wandering around in the wilderness and they're complaining. And so God sends them serpents to drive them to repentance and it works. The people came to Moses and said, and this is Deuteronomy 21, sorry, Numbers 21, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against you, Moses. Pray to the Lord that He would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, a bronze serpent, and set it on a pole, so that everyone who's bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus reminds Nicodemus of this event. And it isn't indeed an incredible event and full of wonder. Here are the people of Israel wandering through the desert, snakes hanging off of them, chewing them and killing them and everything. And Moses is busy making a bronze serpent on a stick. Moses, now try to imagine this, the people saying this. Moses, we've kind of got a situation out here. We could use some sort of antidote some big snake hitting sticks or something. <laughs> the Lord could do us a favor and send these snakes away. And there's Moses inside a tent where you hear the banging of a hammer saying, hold on a bit. I'm making a bronze serpent, putting it on a stick. <laughs> You're doing what, Moses? A bronze serpent on a stick, guys. If you look at it, you'll be healed. I'm almost finished. And Moses comes out of the tent with his serpent on a stick and lifts it up and says, if you've been bitten, come and look here. Come and look at this snake and live. Can you imagine that? Look at the what and what? Look at the snake and live? That, Moses, seems flat out crazy. I want medicine, some sort of snake bite kit. It's not, not a bronze serpent on a pole. But you know when the Lord institutes it, the crazy thing is not to look. Not to look at the snake. Not to look at the Lord's instituted healing and salvation. And the point of this all for, for the people of Israel and for Nicodemus and for us is that the way of salvation is not for you to choose. For the people with Moses. For the Pharisees and the people following Jesus. For you. 
Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So it is that Jesus is the way to life. There is no salvation, no life, no hope apart from Him. No, no living forever. No grace and mercy apart from the Father sending of the Son to die or from the Holy Spirit bringing us the gift of baptism and the gift of repentance and the gift of the promise of the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, after all, if it were up to us, dear saints, to pick the way of salvation, it certainly wouldn't be the cross. It wouldn't be the bleeding and dying of Jesus. It wouldn't be the font where you're baptized in God's name. It wouldn't be repentance, confession of your sin and hearing the absolution. That wouldn't be our preference. And certainly this supper, this bread and wine and body and blood, would not be the way that you would choose to have the forgiveness of sins. I don't know what it would be that you would choose. Some sort of great and triumphal work, some sort of obedience, some sort of mighty uh, testimony or something like this. It wouldn't be these humble things, but this, these gifts of God, this dying and rising of Jesus, this baptism in His name, this Gospel that we hear, this is how the Holy Spirit brings us to the Son sent by the Father. This is how we are adopted into God's family. This is how the Holy Trinity saves us. By baptism, we are received into the very family of God, adopted as His children, given His name, washed clean. And now, because of this, God the Father is your Father. God the Son is your brother and your friend. God the Holy Spirit is your Counselor and your Helper and your Comforter. And your inheritance is the kingdom of God, life eternal. We rejoice then in the teaching of the Holy Trinity because this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is our family. For in Christ Jesus, Paul writes, you are all sons of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Amen. Praise be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.